Uh, so we're going to uh, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 20, please. Leviticus chapter 20 this morning. Now we're continuing in this uh, thought of sanctification and death in this chapter. Um, so uh, we're going to be dealing with some interesting subject matter today, but it's important that we look at it. Uh, and uh, hopefully it will help us to continue to uh, steer our ship in the right direction and know where we're going for, uh, with the things that we believe in our culture. Uh, because God's word is very clear about certain things. Now, we talk about the death penalty, all right? And um, amazingly enough, throughout the Old Testament, we are commanded so many times to take people out and stone them, put them to death. Uh, and uh, again, not because God was a cruel God, but he was very, making it very clear that the penalty, the payment, what you and I owe for our sin is death. And he is very clear about that. The Old Testament is completely full of this picture, and we've looked at it, and we're going to read it again this morning quite a few times, that sin has a consequence. Sin has an eternal penalty, and that is death. All right? But what we learned last week, and the thing that is amazing uh, that we have to keep in mind, and one of the reasons we are still here on this planet is to remind everyone that we come in contact with that Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty of death. Okay? He who knew no sin. So Jesus had not sinned once, so the penalty of death was not something he owed. But he voluntarily took on death for you and me so that he could take that penalty away. Okay? Uh, what's the phrase? I'm even trying to remember it myself. You ever heard of the phrase... Uh, double jeopardy or double indemnity where you can't be tried twice for the same crime okay jesus christ took our penalty took our consequences took the judgment of god upon himself we don't have to be tried for that crime for our sins anymore because christ took the penalty okay and that's the amazing thing and i want us to remember that because we're going to be looking at some pretty heavy duty stuff this morning Okay, uh, I'm going to be on honest with you um, that what we're going to talk about is not going to be uh, fun to think about, and it most certainly is not going to fit in with what the world wants us to believe, okay, this morning. So if you've pre-read this chapter, you know some of the things that are coming up. Um, it's going to be a little, uh, <sighs> almost uncomfortable, okay? Um, but the other part about this chapter is so we know that the, the, that the penalty for sin is death and that Christ has taken that penalty if we would just accept it. And this is what boggles my mind. I'm back on this subject again. Listen, Jesus saying to the world, I've given you a free pass. All you have to do is accept what I have done for you. All you have to do is believe that I have been sent by the Father to take care of your penalty of sin and trust in me and put your faith in God's plan for salvation. People don't do that. It's mind-boggling. How many of you have a credit card? How many of you got debt on your credit card? How many of you have a mortgage payment or a car payment? Or What would happen if somebody came up to you and said, listen, I, I, I will pay off all your debt. Here's the deal. I'll pay off your debt for you. Are you interested? Well, yeah. But, you know, many of us now, we've lived in that system long enough that we say, what's the catch? Okay, because we don't trust people. But how many people would go, of course I would love to have my debt paid off. Do we realize that that is what Christ has done? We have a death penalty that we owe. And Christ has paid that for us. Now, that means you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to understand that he is Lord and Savior and creator of this world. And you have to understand that you have to submit to him and his, who he is as Savior and God to benefit from that. But it's just that we, sometimes we complicate it so much. And we're going to talk a little bit that, about that in a few minutes. So the other part about this chapter, which is amazing, is God reminds us that he has sanctified us. 
which again, I love that. He has set you and I apart because of the work that he has done through the Old Testament and the New Testament. God has taken his people and done something special with them. He has made them to be different. Okay, and we looked at the two parts of that a couple of weeks back. God made us different, and then he says, now that you're different, go out and be different. Okay, and when Dan talked about it this morning in Sunday school, we were looking at false teachers who were among us, but then they went back to the world. Okay, you know every Christian, I, and God helped me not to ever, could decide to never go to church again, not interested in God, and live like the world for the rest of my life. Could you? Absolutely. We have the active responsibility of setting ourselves apart from the world. So yes, God has done it for us, but we have an everyday responsibility to act like the people of God that we're supposed to be. I very easily could not do that if I wanted to. So the two parts is God has done it for us, but we have to do it on daily active basis for him and live like his kids. All right, let's have a word of prayer because we're going to start looking into some of the perverse relationships that God calls out here in this chapter to remind us of what his kids ought to be acting like and what they not ought to be acting like. Okay, I, I graduated high school. so All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. And Lord, I say that so often, but Lord, I'm so honest. There are so many religious groups who change the rules, make it up as they go along, go with the ebb and flow of culture and what people feel and what our world... Uh, wants as permission lord i thank you that we have a bible that is 100 percent true 100 percent accurate the absolute authority in our lives and i'm so thankful and that we can look to it and get guidance and so father we're going to see some things here that are contrary to what some folks think today even in christian quote-unquote circles but lord i just pray that uh, by the time we're done we'll remember the awesome God that you are and what you're trying to have us remember. So, Father, thank you again that you sent your Son. Jesus Christ was Savior before he was Creator. You talk about that you had set this plan apart before the world began. You knew exactly what you would have to do to redeem us back to you. And that is you would voluntarily take on our penalty of death for our sins. What an amazing God you are. So Father, help us as we look to this passage. Be with my mind, be with my words. Help me to share this in a manner that uh, is the Holy Spirit can learn to teach us and guide us through this. So Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Hang on to your heads. Verse 9. Of chapter 20 in Leviticus. For everyone that curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He hath cursed his father and his mother, his blood shall be upon him. Now we could stop and park right here because I'll tell you what, the population of our world would be a lot less if we kept this rule. If you're going to curse your mother and father, you were put to death at the moment. Uh, I'll tell you. Now, let me remind you, please, again. When you find the word curse in the scripture, it is not what we use the word curse in our language. We're not talking about profanity. You know, we're not talking about saying swear words or cuss words at somebody. Okay, uh, this means to despise or to make someone vile or even to make light of. Okay, your parents are the people that God has given you to help you to become the adult that he wants you to be and the servant of him that you want to be. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you one thing. How many people, young people in this world, despise their parents who make light of them, who... Amazing to me how many uh, children get to be in their mid-twenties and then realize mom and dad weren't as stupid as they thought they were. Because for so many years, children uh, think that their parents are idiots. Okay, God says be careful of that. Okay, and there's this parent, par, parenting role that's in the scripture. 
again, God reminds us, number one, that he is our heavenly father. And we're going to come back to this before we're done. He is our perfect heavenly father. And if we don't understand that through our earthly relationships, we lose a lot of ability to relate to him. Number two, he also reminds us that in our spiritual lives, we are supposed to take on roles of guidance and growing people in Christ, in the Lord. He put parents on this planet. Listen, um, aren't you so glad you're not, God didn't choose to make people like alligators? Okay, now I don't mean walking around on your belly with all four, but you know how the alligator works? Goes, digs a hole, lays a bunch of eggs, and then goes away? Or sea turtles? Okay, let's talk about sea turtles. They're a lot cuter. Okay, the mother sea turtle comes and lays the eggs, swims away, and all those little babies come out, and they have to fend for themselves. They have to make it to the ocean, and they're on their own for the rest of their lives. Do you understand God didn't make human beings that way? Because, you know, one day God just decided to roll the dice and say, oh, all right, well, I was going to make humans like sea turtles, but we'll do it different. No, he designed us specifically. Okay, we are one of the only species on this planet that takes years for the uh, individual new birth to be able to survive without their mother and father. God did that for a reason. It's because we are to invest in our children to help them to grow to what they are supposed to be. And when you despise that, you're throwing God's system under the bus. And you lose your ability to relate to your heavenly father. Because you don't understand how important it is to have those influences in your life. Now, I know some of you, I, I see it in your faces, I had terrible parents. I, my parents were awful. Okay? God still gave you those parents, and you learned from them, didn't you? Now, how many times do we say, well, I learned some good things from that people, and then we'll say, well, I learned some things not to do from those people. We still learned. God has designed us and created us in a manner that he's prepared us for exactly what he'd had. And we talked about this before when we were back a chapter where it says, honor thy father and thy mother for long life on this earth and length of days on this earth. Okay, so that's the first one. Not too hard, but I'll tell you what. Try to tell people that back then if you were despising your parents and cursing them that you were taken out and stoned by God's people. That's a little different than it is today. All right, verse 10. A man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. If you commit adultery, the penalty, death. You were taken out and stoned. Okay, now this should remind you of something, and uh, we read it many times in Matthew uh, in John chapter 8 where remember they find a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and they drag her to see Jesus and they're trying to get Jesus uh, entrapped in this situation and say to Jesus this woman was caught in the very act of adultery uh, the law says we should stone her what do you think rabbi and Jesus stoops down. Go to John chapter 8. Uh, John, I want you to see this. This is an amazing thing to me. We don't know exactly what Jesus wrote. But I kind of have a clue. I have a thought. John chapter 8, verse 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master? This woman is taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? This, tempted, uh, this they said, tempting him, that, he might have uh, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, uh, He that is without sin cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
And when they had heard it, they began uh, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus lifted up his eye, uh, lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. And he said, woman, where are uh, thou accusers? And um, hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Um, interestingly enough, I'm not sure what Jesus was writing on the ground. Okay, Can't tell you, but I think it's interesting that the law of Moses says that the adulteress and the adulterer are to be stoned. Why is it that they only bring the woman if she was caught in the very act of adultery? Both of them were supposed to be stoned. Okay, leads you to believe that it may have actually been one of these fellows that showed up that they set this whole thing together. But they weren't even keeping God's word at the time. Here's the commandment. If you're going to be caught in adultery, it's not just the woman that gets brought out, it's both of them get stoned. Now, talking about this again in our culture. You know, I don't even know if adultery is a thing in this world anymore. Honestly. Now, when many of us were growing up, it was. But what difference does it make anymore in our culture if you go out and sleep with your best friend's wife or somebody else's wife or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband? Interesting. How much, how thinning of the population we would have if we kept this rule. Now, please stay with me. Some of these things are a little tough. We talked about the idea of honoring your father and mother. Well, Jesus says that uh, if you lust on a woman in your mind, you've already committed adultery with her. Okay, God says be careful what you even think about when it comes to a woman or a man. If you're lusting in your heart after them, you've already committed adultery. Okay, verse 11. A man that lieth with his father's wife and uncovereth his father's nakedness, hath uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death, for their blood she shall be upon them. If a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall poorly, uh, surely be put to death, for they have wrought confusion, and their blood shall be upon them. God starts talking about incest. If you're having sexual relations with members of your family, you are put to death. Okay, I, I'm not going to go deep into these subjects because some of them, just skimming the surface, gives you the willies. But I'll tell you one thing, this is something that if you're not aware of what's going on in our world and what is acceptable, we'd be weeding out the population again. Look at verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, notice, I want to stop there, uh, no confusion about the pronouns and what we are talking about. We're talking about a male and a female. Okay, If a man lieth with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. God condemns homosexuality. Are you with me? I want just to be clear. Okay, There is no... Uh, place where this is misunderstood this is not something that god approves of he calls it an abomination the word there means loathful detestable and disgusting you with me now i'm telling you it's it, we need to be able to understand this in god's word because we are going to be questioned on it we are going to be confronted with it as we live our lives as christians i want you to understand where god's word is coming from Okay, here we go. Please bear with me. I told you this is tough stuff. God doesn't pull any punches. It's his word. Too often we avoid passages like this, and we don't know where we stand in our uh, faith. Look at verse 13, uh, 14, please. If a man lieth with mankind, is, oh, that was uh, verse 14, excuse me. If a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. 
Remember, God wants to separate us from others, that there be no wickedness. Jump down to verse 17. We'll go back to those other ones. If a woman approach unto a, uh, verse 17, excuse me, if a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and see her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing. They shall be cut off from the sight of the people. He hath uncovered her nakedness and shall bear his iniquity. If a man shall lie with a woman having her sickness and shall uncover her nakedness he shall uh, and discover her fountain, he hath uncovered her fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among the people. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister or thy father's sister. He hath uncovered his near kin. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man shall lie with his uncle's wife, he hath uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their iniquity and their sin, and they shall die childless. If a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing, and he hath uncovered his brother's nakedness, they shall be childless. Again, God is dealing with incestual relationships within the family. Now remember, the title of this little section is called Perverse Relations. Okay, Perverse Relationships. That God is concerned about the people that we have in our lives and what we accomplish in those relationships. He covers all kinds of fornication here. That word fornication is sexual sin. All right? Adult subject, but we got to hit it. Go back, if you would, or go to verse 15. If a man lie with a beast... He shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. If a woman approach unto any beast, and lie down thereunto, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. God deals with bestiality. I'm glad I'm done reading all that. Okay? God says there are death penalties for sin, especially in relationships that we have with one another. And he covers homosexuality, bestiality, incest, adultery. Guys, there is nothing here that God is avoiding. Now, I want to remind us that there are certain things, and I won't do a little teaching here, so get your brains or your pencils or everything you want to remember this. There is... Um, those in our culture who would come and say to us, well, all the Old Testament laws are not in play anymore. Okay? Um, thus, name off a couple, right? You can't eat shellfish. Okay? We just read that in the past chapter, right, of this same book. You can't eat lobster, you can't eat crabs, clams, you know, uh, you can't eat scallops, okay? Uh, you can't eat bacon, Okay, no pulled pork. Okay, you can't wear clothing that's half cotton and half linen. Okay, there's a lot of rules in the Old Testament, a lot of laws that God gave to his people um, that we don't apply to anymore, right? Well, we eat pork now, we eat lobster, yeah. Okay, we wear half polyester, half cotton shirts now. So if we could get away, give away with those laws, what about these laws? About homosexuality, about adultery, about there's a difference in God's word. Okay, now I want to talk about this. Remember, as an example, we talk about there are three applications of Scripture. Again, this is a rule of Bible study, so if you want to jot this down in your Bible, it's a good thing. Okay, there's a, uh, a rule of Bible study that there are three applications of Scripture. There's a historical one. There's a doctrinal one. What is he trying to show us? What is the truth that he is making clear through that? And then there's a personal application. Now that I know that, okay, what do I do with that? Okay, and we talked about this quite a few times, all right, that uh, there was a priest. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, but you and I are priests, right? And there we have all three things. There used to be a priest every time, and it, it, there was a, a line of priesthood. Okay, God created a priest in history. 
because Jesus is the priest, he is the ultimate high priest, he is the one who is doing, has done everything that's necessary for us to reach God, okay? But personally, I apply that and I'm a priest. So what am I supposed to act like? Okay, there are also, here's the second rule of Bible study, there are also in the scripture three specific groups of people. All right, three groups of people. And it's not based upon where you grow up or the color of your skin or how much money you have or anything like that. In the Bible, there are three groups of people. There is the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. Okay, when it comes to you and I today, understanding how this fits our lives, there's three groups of people. Either you're one of God's chosen people, the Jews, or you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. But Paul makes it clear he made something amazing. He took a Jew and a Gentile, made one thing, and that's a Christian in the church. So here it is. Please listen carefully to this because this is pivotal on understanding a lot of this Old Testament stuff. Who is it written to? Who's it written to? All this Old Testament in, Le in Leviticus, who was that written to? The church then, right? Because we know the church was back in Leviticus. You know, we had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but over here was the church with all the Christians in it, right? Come on, I'm being a little facetious, but who is it written to? The Jews, okay? These passages that we're reading were written to God's people, the Jews. They were not written to the church. Okay, so God is giving commandments. He's giving laws that apply to the Old Testament Jewish people. The key to understanding this is there are some laws that are based on morality that do not change. Okay? Th rules that were based on setting God's people apart and making them look different, some of those have changed. Okay, like eating crustaceans and lobsters and pulled pork. Make myself drool. Okay? And you remember when God is speaking with Peter and he sets down this cloth from heaven and on that cloth is every unclean animal and God says to Peter, arise and eat, kill and eat. And Peter says, uh-uh, I've never eaten any of that stuff in my life, Lord. That violates the law. And God does it again and said, arise and kill and eat. And then God basically says to Peter in so many words, listen, don't you call anything that I've made unclean. Because for the Old Testament Jew, that was an example on how they set themselves apart from the world. But when it comes to morality, it wasn't immoral to eat a lobster. It wasn't immoral to have a big pile of bacon. <laughs> but there are rules and laws in God's commandment for the Old Testament that are based on morality. That whether or not your Old Testament, New Testament, no matter what time you are in this world we live in, that they are always wrong. All right, go to Matthew, uh, Matthew. go to Romans chapter 1. So we just read some very difficult passages, and you will get the argument from someone that will say, well, yeah, that's Old Testament, we don't have to do that anymore, because I, I can eat bacon now, but why can't I do this? Okay, can't I commit adultery? Because, you know, I can eat a lobster, you know, those Old Testament rules are Old Testament. They change. God's moral law does not change. Romans chapter 1, New Testament, written to the church as Paul is giving instruction. And he's making commentary about behaviors that and again, if you don't understand, the book of Romans is very legal in its, in its feel. Like you're standing in a courtroom and there's accusations being made. And we're looking at justification and we're looking at Romans chapter 1. Look down. Uh, look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they, have, they become fools and change the glory of the corru uh, incorruptible or uncorruptible God 
into an image like unto corruptible man, and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to discover uh, their <laughs> dishonor, excuse me, their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, keep going. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working which is unseemly, receiving themselves that recompense of their error which is meet. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, uh, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things. Listen, disobedient to parents. This is a list like we just read in Leviticus. Homosexuality, fornication, cursing your parents. You understand something? When we're talking about God's law, there is a moral side to God's law which has never changed. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. Sin is sin. Okay, But there are parts to the law in the Old Testament which were dietary and things like that to show that God's people needed to be different, but they were not based on a moral law they were based on a dietary law. They were based on how to treat the land. You, don't, you plant for six years, but on the seventh year you let it rest, which God uses as pictures. But there's no reason you are violating God's law if all of a sudden you planted corn on the seventh year. <gasps> Crud, I meant, lost count, Lord. Please remember this. And I'm getting, again, I'm doing this for our kind of education, a kind of teaching to give us ammunition when somebody comes up and says man i was ripping fire the i don't even know the name of the show but you know you get little blurbs of movies on or tv shows on your phone and uh i think it might have been west wing or something i don't even know but uh one of the sheens was the president okay and there was a christian woman and he sat her down and started chewing her out about, well, I, what are you trying to tell me? I can't wear clothes that are half linen and half cotton, and I can't eat lobster. Is that what you're trying to tell me? All these Christian laws that don't make any sense. Be careful, because God has never changed his moral law. Bestiality is a sin, and God says it's punishable by death. Homosexuality is a sin. It's punishable by death. Adultery is a sin. It's punishable by death. Cursing your parents is a sin. Punishable by death. If you go by the Romans passage, debating is a sin. I had to learn that one. There was a preacher that sent to me, sat me down once because I love to win an argument. As a matter of fact, I love to win an argument so much that I never think I actually lose an argument. You know what I'm talking about. If, if, if you don't, be thankful. Okay? And you like to debate so much that you'll take the opposite side of what you actually really think and try to win the argument. Okay? It's wrong. It just causes contention. It just causes doubt. God says even debating is on this list. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about a presidential debate where you're making your... I'm talking about continuously being contrary in people, trying to get people riled up. We're supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Okay? Now, I hope you get all this. Because it's important when we approach what we're going to talk about. God is trying to set us apart. 
And the moment we start taking away some of God's standards because we want to be like the world, it sounds a lot like what Dan was talking about in Sunday school. Dan was dealing with 1 John chapter 4, where it says, guys, there are many spirits out in the world. You need to try the spirits. Because there are many false prophets who have gone out into this world, and they pretend to be Christian, but they line themselves up with the world, and the world listens to them. They don't want to hear the truth of God's word, that these things that we are talking about this morning are still morally wrong by God's code. They want to say, well, you know, most of the world accepts this behavior. God and his people are not most of the world. The verse we read a couple of minutes ago talks about that he wants us to be, make a difference between us and them. Now that may seem a little bit like we're a clique, but we're better than them, not by any means. But we already realized from last week and a couple of weeks ago that you and I represent our Heavenly Father. He has set us apart, fenced us in, made us something special, so act like you're something special. Live like one of his people, not like the world. Now listen, let's look at these couple of verses. At closer to the end of the chapter, verse 22. Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land whether I bring you to dwell in, spew you not out. Now, I just want to park here for just a second. This is not talking about their heavenly relationship with God, their spiritual relationship with God. This is talking about consequences of, in life while we're here on this earth. You see that God says, listen, i, I got a special place for you, and we'll look at that in a minute. He says, I, you'd better live like one of the, my people, set yourself apart, because I've set you apart, that you're not puked out of the land. You know, God said, uh, Jesus used that same phrase, right, where he says, uh, listen, you're not hot or cold, I want to spew you out of my mouth and make me want to puke. God says, be careful, because if you're not going to keep my judgments, keep my commandments, set yourself apart like my people, there's going to be consequences. The land's going to spew you out. Okay, Please remember that uh, our behavior on this earth, someday we'll stand face to face with God and have to answer for things. But you know what? There's things that are going to happen right here in this life that there's going to be consequences. Now keep going. Verse 23. Ye shall not walk in the manner of the nations, which I cast out before you, for they committed all things... And therefore I abhor them. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land. I will give it uh, you to possess it. A land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Now this is the theme that we've been talking about for several weeks. Do you get it? God wants us to live different than everybody else. And man, I was getting uh, my hair in the back of my neck standing up and getting goosebumps and getting riled up when Dan was finishing up Sunday school because the whole kind of end of the package this morning in Sunday school was, you know what? When God's people live uh, and hear God's word, it sinks in. They get it. it. They hear it. It means something. The problem is when false teachers come along and pretend to be Christians and talk to the world, and it's not the truth, they believe that mess. God says, listen, separate yourselves from those kind of people. Live different than them. Now again, please take this in context. He says, here's how they are living, the people of this world. They're sleeping with animals. They're sleeping with people who are married. They're sleeping with the same sex. They're disobeying their parents. God's saying, all these things we just listed as how the world lives don't live that way. We have a better standard. Okay, now, with all that in mind, um, 
This is where the cool part comes in. Okay, God, we look at this and think, well, man, God's just not fair. It's so uncool, it's so restrictive. We can't do all these things. I have to live by a bunch of rules and regulations. And You understand something? The verse we just read said, if you keep my commandments, if you do the things, I will give you the land to possess it. I will bless you with all spiritual blessings. And this is what we miss out on. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Now I want to say I because it helps because this is something that I try to remind myself all the time that we were just talking about this. Acts chapter 17 verse 30 and 31. There's a lot of things that we've done. And you know what? What is it, James that tells us if you violated one law, you're guilty of all? Well, pastor, I've never committed adultery or, you know, I've never uh, done some of those things. Well, have you sinned? Then you were a violation of all of them. There's not one because God says dirt is dirt. If you violated one, you violate them all. We're all guilty. But I love this verse. It says, verse, chapter 17, verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. Meaning, you know what? You may have violated the Old Testament law. You may have had issues in your life. But God winked at that. Now, it doesn't mean like... It means he ignores it. He lets it slide. He overlooks it. So let's read that again. Listen. The times of this ignorance God overlook, but now commandeth every man, or all men everywhere, to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man that he hath ordained, whereof uh, that he may assure uh, assurance to all men in that he raised him from the dead. Someday God's going to judge this world by Jesus Christ. Here's the point. We don't follow these rules and regulations because we're afraid that God's going to take us out and stone us. Right? That's exactly what I was just talking about a couple minutes ago with little Jared when he was up here. He's not doing the things downstairs and and learning his verses and the pledges and all those things because he thinks we're going to take him out back and whoop him. He's doing it because he knows that that's the thing that Christians do. It's a good thing. And because of that, he gets reward. You and I don't serve God because we think, we, if I don't, well, pastor's going to get a posse up and take us out in the backyard and give, have a stoning party. We serve God because he gives us all spiritual blessings. He is our loving Heavenly Father. Now, if you remember a couple weeks back, we talked about the privilege of being sanctified. Do you know, or remember, we've said it before, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what the Bible says, right? So before you put your faith in him, you could not do a single thing that God is happy with. I want that to be understood. You know how many people in this world right now are struggling themselves to death to try to please God that they have not put their faith in? And God says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, here's the key, though. I love this part. That means once I do have faith, what can I do? Anybody out there? If I didn't have faith, I can't please him. Now that I do have faith, what can I do? I can please him. How awesome is that? We don't do the things we do. We don't not commit adultery and not commit uh, homosexuality and not commit bestiality and, and do these moral things because we're afraid he's going to kill us. We do these things because we love him. Because he has given us all spiritual blessing. Because the first time 
in my life. I can please him. This is all based upon a father's love. God says, listen, I've set you apart. Do you understand what a privilege it is to know I've set you apart? You no longer have to live like that. And there's so many people are clamoring in this world because I want to be able to do that. How dare you tell me not to commit adultery? Why would you want to? We get to please God. Now I know when, I, when the, my kids were younger, it showed up a little bit more. But one of the three of them would come in and say, look what I did, Daddy. Come on, anybody been there? And you're, and you're looking at that, and they're so happy because they're showing you something that because they want to please you. They want to make you happy. They want to know that you're proud of them because of what they've been doing. And they just come up, I don't care what it is. They could have scribbled some crayon on a piece of paper and told you it was a frog. You don't know, it don't look like a frog. But they're just so happy because look what I did. Or they put their shoes on. They're on the wrong feet, but they put them on. And they come in and they say, look, Daddy. And I, as a father, go, so what? I put my shoes on every day. No, we go, that's awesome. Look at what a big boy you are. Look at, you, you drew this picture. What a good girl. I look and go, that ain't no Picasso. But I know in their heart they were trying to do something to please me. And because I'm a loving Heavenly Father, I go, awesome! You know what Jesus said, if you come to me with the faith of a child. We've forgotten sometimes in this world because we get old, we get jaded, we get worn down by our system that all God wants us to do is live a life that pleases our dad. Not because we're afraid he's going to punish us, but because we understand he's given us all spiritual blessings. Everything, what's the verse? Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. And I wanted to end this this way, because sometimes when we read these passages, we're so far drawn away from the thought that serving God is based upon love. That's why this is all founded upon relationships and how to take those relationships and abuse them. Parents, spouses, your brother's sister, your, you know, brother's sister, okay? Your sister, your uncle, your aunt, you know, all those things that God listed off this whole passage is, is about misunderstanding and misusing the loving relationships that God has put in our lives. And I mentioned this earlier, too many times we've had terrible relationships with our regular fathers, and we've had a really hard time relating to our heavenly father because we don't have that example of a dad who all he wanted to see from his kids is that his kids wanted to please him. And he wasn't that kind of father that when you came up and did something that was awesome, just brushed you off because he didn't care. Our heavenly father loves us more than we'll ever know. He's given us everything we could possibly need. Why wouldn't we want to do the things that make him happy? So as we're pondering passages like this, please don't step out and say, man, God's going to crush me if I, if I screw up. That's not, the, that's not the idea behind this. God says, listen, I love you, and I want to give you everything you can possibly have. I want to give you that land of milk and honey. I want to give it to you to possess it. The problem is, act like you deserve it and go possess it. It's yours. I've given it to you. Live like one of my kids. Make me proud. Because now that we have faith, we can please him. How awesome is that?
So again, God wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to set ourselves apart from the way that the world lives because he loves us. And we're his kids. Now, instead of going out into the world and taking some of the subject matter we just said and said, I'll pick on one that's least offensive to some people in the world nowadays. Not that it's not gross, but it's not a hot-button issue. Bestiality. You people out here in this world, we're Christians. You ought not to be doing bestiality. You know how many Christians sometimes approach from the side of the death penalty? You hear me? That you're guilty! How about we approach and say, you know what? The God of this world that loves you created you for so much better. He didn't make you for this. He wants to set you apart. He wants to make you special. He loves you. You could live differently. Not thumping them with some sort of Old Testament hellfire and brimstone God. He is holy. He will judge. But God is a God of love. And everything that is based upon the fact that we get a chance to be put in a special place that we can please him. He set us apart. Now let's act like it. And when the world sees that, it can be drawn to him, not because they're afraid of eternal judgment, but there's a love there that they just have never experienced ever. They will know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again. Lord, I thank you for your word, man. It is tough. There's things in here that are hard sometimes to deal with. But Lord, I thank you. You are not a God who is waiting upstairs with a lightning bolt to zap us because we mess up. Father, on the other hand, you are waiting there like a heavenly father, like a dad, just waiting for the kids to come up and say, look what I did, Daddy. And we know those times when we haven't done right and we walk up to Dad, and sometimes he doesn't even have to say anything, and we, the tears just start flowing down our face because we know we messed up. We don't need to be reminded continuously about how our behaviors are wrong. Father, sometimes it's better to remind us that we have the privilege of being blessed by a God who loves us. That when we do what we're supposed to, he gives us land to possess, flowing with milk and honey. He blesses us with all spiritual blessings. Man, Father, I thank you that you're a loving God. And Lord, your desire most of all is that we all come to repentance. That we all can be reconciled, brought back into a proper relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, Lord, thank you. Please help us to go out and live a life that reflects who you are, a loving God that forgives sin, that people can see that and have a desire to be part of your family. And, Father, I just pray that uh, we may know some money in our lives, we may be struggling with some of these issues ourselves. Lord, that we can live a life that reflects who you are. We are Christ-like ones. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.